0: It's Daily Thunder, thundering out the truth of Jesus Christ live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more about our discipleship programs or to support this podcast, visit ellerslie.com. Now, here's Nathan Johnson. Uh, if have your Bibles, John chapter 8. <clears throat> uh, a couple months ago, I realized, uh, we had started a, a mini-series, and we got about three Uh, messages into it, and then because of the holidays, we had to stop, and I realized we probably need to get back into it at some point, and so uh, we're going to pick up again on this uh, little mini-series on the I Am statements of Jesus in the book of John, and uh, just as a quick review, since it's kind of been a long time for all of us, uh, myself included, uh, we've been looking at this idea that in the book of John, it's interesting that there's a whole bunch of I Am statements that is made by Jesus. But it's interesting that when you look at those, there are seven of them uh, that we typically kind of pull out as kind of a different group. And we say that these are the I am statements of Jesus. And the reason we do that is because those seven are predicate nominatives. And again, don't let that scare you. Uh, And you can go back and do a previous study what we looked at that. But basically what that means is is that Jesus gives a phrase or an imagery or a picture, and he says, I'm that. Uh, For example, if you say, I am a teacher— Teacher is the predicate nominative of the I am. In other words, I, I am identifying myself with whatever that is. In this case, teaching. Jesus does that seven times. And in those seven times, it gives us an incredible picture of just his nature and his character. Uh, so the last time that we were together uh, looking at this, we looked at the fact that Jesus says, I am the bread, or I am the manna that ca- came down from heaven. And again, he's, he's looting. He's going back in the Old Testament. <clears throat> and giving you a picture of something. And he says, hey, when Moses was out in the wilderness with the Israelites, and godly fed them day by day by day with this thing on the ground that they said, manna, this what is it stuff, Jesus says, do you recognize that that's who I am? That, that I am the bread. I am that which nourishes. I, I am that which satisfies. Hey, I, I am that which you are to depend on every single day. That this is not, uh, oh, show up to church on Sunday, get your uh, You know, fill up your gas tank of Jesus, and then, hey, you'll be good for a few days. No, no, that's not how manna works. That's not how you eat. I don't eat that way. In fact, I don't even eat once a day. I eat multiple times a day. Why? Because, oh, well, one, I love food. But two, I mean, hey, I, I need the nourishment. And Jesus says, hey, that's who I am. That this isn't just fill up your gas tank once a week at, you know, a church kind of idea. That this is, hey, you need to be depending upon me, resting upon me, partaking of me day by day by day by day. And again, we, we spent two studies looking at that. Uh, one, looking at the Old Testament imagery of the manna, and then we looked at the context of what Jesus was saying with I am the bread. Uh, the next I am statement that we're going to start looking at today is uh, in John chapter 8. And Jesus makes this incredible statement, and he says, I am the light. It's pretty awesome. And, uh, and I don't know if we're going to do this for, with every single one of these, uh, but what I wanted to do today specifically is go back in the Old Testament, look at this idea of the light, and then the next study that we're going to have, which I think is going to be in two weeks from now, because I think Eric is doing all the Daily Thunders next week. But in two weeks from now, when we get back into this study, I want to look at the, the light idea in light of the context of what Jesus is specifically saying in John 8. But just so we, we have it in our mind, uh, let me read uh, the passage in John 8. It's in uh, John 8, uh, verse 12. And again, I'll set up the context and we'll talk through that next time, but just so you have this in your mind. Uh, Jesus is speaking to this crowd and he says in verse 12 of chapter 8, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. And if you want to turn over a page, he says something very similar in chapter 9. Chapter 9 begins and says, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now listen to Jesus' answer, verse 3. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but it happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. I must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Uh, Interesting flow of, of uh, history, uh, God has been moving, God has been speaking, uh, God has just been sending prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet, trying to give illumination, give insight to awaken the Israelites from their stupor. Uh, Malachi is, is the end of that, and, and from Malachi to the beginning of, of John the ministry of John the Baptist, there's 400 years, what we typically call the, the silent years. Now, if you know history, <laughs> those, those 400 years were anything but silent. But we call it the silent ears because there was no prophetic voice. God was not speaking. There wasn't, uh, there wasn't a thus saith the Lord kind of a thing going on. So it's interesting, as you come in, if you even have your Bibles, you can look at this, John chapter 1. It's fascinating to me that John the Baptist shows up on the scene. And you recognize that, uh, according to Jesus, that John the Baptist was the greatest uh, 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 man in the Old Testament era. And in other words, the greatest that the Old Testament could produce, was seen in John the Baptist. And, of course, Jesus gives commentary on on that and just says, even though he's the greatest the Old Testament could produce, he's the very bottom in the kingdom of heaven, which is an interesting statement in terms of this new reality and this new covenant that we've entered into. But John chapter 1 makes this statement in John 1, 6. Speaking about John the Baptist, listen to the ministry of John the Baptist, according to the book of John. Uh, John says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came as a witness in order to testify concerning the light, that all men through him might believe. Now, he was not this light, but was sent in order to testify concerning the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. Obviously speaking of Jesus. Uh, so as we get into our passage in John 8, it's interesting that the culmination of all this is, 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 is coming to fruition. And now Jesus says, it's not that the light is coming, the light has come, and here I am. And I am the light. Isn't it interesting that the only time you have to tell people that light is, is shining is when they're blind? In other words, if people are, are, have their eyes open, you don't have to say, hey, the lights are on. We all just recognize the lights are on. It's only when you're blind it's only when you can't see that someone has to actually inform you hey the light is on i I have a good friend and and she's blind and it's interesting uh i I used to i used to laugh all the time because uh you go into her house and go into a room and her light was always on i was like why why is your light on she goes, well i'm afraid of the dark i go you please please take this with a, a measure of kindness but you're blind you you live in darkness so how do you know if the lights are on or off? She goes, I just, I don't know. I just need to have them on. Which I just, I just, think that's hilarious. But you realize that if she didn't know that the switch was up, like, I could go in, I could turn it off, and she would never know. Now, she might get a sense. She might have a feeling, right? But, hey, I'd have to say, hey, I've turned off the light. I've turned on the light. Because the reality is, the only time you got to tell people the light is shining is if they can't see light. Isn't it interesting in the passage, it presumes that the world is blind. It presumes that the world is in darkness. And someone actually has to go to them and say, Hey, I don't know if you recognize this. I know you're blind, but there's a light that is shining. And you need to embrace the light. And if you want to pick this up even more, it's interesting. Uh, and we're going to go back to the Old Testament. I'm just kind of laying a foundation. But if you turn over to John chapter 3, Jesus picks up on the same concept and kind of brings it to a whole nother level. In John chapter 3, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. He's a Pharisee. You know, he's one of the religious rulers. He's, he's a smart guy. He's been studying all of his life. He, he knows the Bible inside and out. <clears throat> and uh, obviously, he gives that phenomenal verse. Jesus is talking, and he says in verse 16, for God so loved the world. And as he continues down that thought process, he gets down to verse 19. And he's talking about the fact that here is this world, and the world is full of darkness. And yet he is a light coming to the world. Now, look at verse 19. This is crazy. Jesus says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. So Jesus is saying, hey, there is this darkness. It is all consuming. And men have loved darkness. What has humanity done? They have delighted in the darkness rather than the light. Why? Because their deeds were of darkness. Now, that word for loved in our passage, in verse 19 of chapter 3, that word loved is the Greek word agape. Now, if you grew up in the church like I did, uh, you've always heard, most, most people have always heard that phrase, that agape, as defined as God love. It's how God loves. It's, it's the God kind of love. But if you put that definition into this passage, it gets really awkward. But let me give you the idea. The whole thrust of the passage, by the way, agape, the idea of agape, the reason we even call it God's love, because it is, because, you know, First John chapter 4, verse 8 and 16 says God is agape. So agape is so intricately tied into God. But the idea is agape is this unconditional, unrelenting, aggressive, I just, I can't stop kind of a love. It's an aggressive kind of love. And obviously the best example of that is Jesus on the cross. Uh, here's Jesus He's been beaten. He's been bruised. He has a kind of thorns on his head. I mean, he just, he just, he's just—he's sw- just—he's. I mean, he's just—he's in such pain, and agony, and yet here he is. He's nailed to a cross, and what is he doing? He's still loving. He's still pouring forth this overwhelming love that he is. And it's not that he just has some love. He is love itself. And, and again, we're not talking about emotion. We're talking about a person, and it's unrelenting. See, hey, you didn't deserve it. Hey, you didn't earn it. Hey, you can't do anything bad enough to get rid of it. God is going to, hey, he's, he's aggressive in this. He's unrelenting. It's unconditional. John says, uh, quoting Jesus, do you know how people have lived? They live like that with darkness. See, how do they love darkness? It was unconditional. I just love darkness. Yeah, but it's bad for you. I don't care. See, see, darkness is, is not satisfying. Doesn't matter. I'm still going to love it. See, I'm going to pursue darkness. It's going to be unrelenting. This is going to be aggressive. Hey, this is, hey, my, I'm going to get worse and worse and worse. And I don't care what darkness does to me. I don't care what the evil does to me. I do not care the consequence. Why? Because I just, oh, I love darkness. Now, that's our culture. I don't, I don't, if, you, if you can see that. I mean, just look at, you look at the times that we live in, let alone the time of Jesus, but the time that we live in, people just love darkness. I cannot tell you. I mean, people. I, when I was work, working in the homeless ministry stuff, that here's these guys, you know, addicted to alcohol, addicted to cigarettes or whatever, and it's just like you realize that stuff is killing you, and they're like, "I know, but I can't stop." And you're like, D- "That, that's stupid." And they're like, "I, I know, I just, but I'm not going to give it up." Why? Because the moment I give it up, I'm going to lose part of myself. It's it's that whole concept that you just they loved their sin so much that it doesn't matter what pain and agony their sin was causing. They were going to be aggressive and unrelenting and unconditional in their love for that sin. And Jesus said, hey, light has come into the world, but hey, they embrace the darkness, which makes sense. Have you ever gone camping? You know, the trick is that everyone's eyes have gotten adjusted to the dark. And, of course, you walk up to someone as they turn their head and you shine the the flashlight in their face, right? And they get dizzy and they kind of fall down and it's, it's really delightful. And everyone's offended. Everyone is ticked off at you when that happens. Why? Because light is offensive. If you're used to the darkness, light becomes offensive. And Jesus says, hey, there's a very dark world, and I have stepped into the world. I am the light. And yet, what has happened? It's almost like the people who have so been wrapped up in their darkness have, like, turned from the light to embrace the darkness even more. Now, take all of that, and I, wanna, I want us to come in the Old Testament. And again, next time we'll look at the context of, of the fact that Jesus is light, but, but turn over to Genesis chapter 1. Uh, I have just been, over the years, just been dumbfounded by the fact that in Genesis chapter 1, there is this incredible picture of Jesus and this redemption uh, declaration of the gospel. Uh, you, you know the creation story, and we don't have to go through that, but, you know, day one, uh, and again, we don't know how, when, when, when necessarily this took place, but before time began, God uh, God gets up. We know that he doesn't wake up, but, you know, he, he gets up and just says, ah, oh, I'm going to make a world today. And he speaks in the midst of the darkness and the chaos, and he says, let there be light. And pff, uh, light shines, and he says, well, that's enough for the day. And uh, the next day, he says, ah, oh, all right. Uh, he speaks into that which was there, and he separates the firmaments. He separates the skies uh, from the waters. He goes, ah, oh, that's enough for the day. Uh, the next day, he shows up and says, ah, ah uh, let there be land. So all all, this, all the land comes, uh, you know, forms and, and all the vegetation pops up out of that. Uh, the next day, he speaks and creates the sun, the moon, and the stars. And the next day, he creates the, the uh, ocean animals and the birds. And then on the sixth day, he creates the land animals, uh, which includes us. And then the seventh day, he goes, whoo, that was so much work, I'm going to take a day off. <laughs> so I just think that's funny. <coughs> Isn't it interesting... That as you follow that progression forward, it is an incredible picture of the gospel. In fact, there's this phrase that happens over and over and over again that I think just enunciates this really well. On the first day, God says, uh, look at verse 3, Genesis chapter 1. God says, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So there was evening and morning the first day. Second day happens, evening and morning the second day. Third day happens, evening and morning, the third day. And you get all the way through the sixth day, evening, morning, evening, morning. Now, isn't it interesting that the day, according to Judas's, starts with evening? Isn't that interesting? See, I think, ah oh, the day starts when I wake up, <laughs> which could be at a variety of times, right? But it's morning is the idea. Oh, the new day starts at morning. But in the Jewish mindset, the day starts at evening, which is why if you, you, know, if you go to Israel or if you know... You know, a family who is Jewish, you know, the Shabbat comes, the, the Sabbath comes, and uh, when do they start celebrating the Shabbat? Friday night. Hey, the moment the sun goes down at evening time, woo, we're already into Saturday, right? And so they begin to celebrate uh, on Friday night. But no, it's Friday night. And they're like, no, 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 this is Saturday, It started. Why? Because the day starts at evening. Isn't that interesting? So as you walk through the, the Genesis account, the days always start with evening, and in, which is why you get this evening, morning, evening, morning thing. And you could say, well, that's just weird, yet yeah, maybe so. But I think it detests of a beautiful, beautiful picture of the gospel. Uh, the word there for evening uh, is, the, uh, uh, is the Hebrew word Erev, and it has this idea of obscurity. It has this idea of uh, moving into chaos or entropy. Uh, that idea of entropy, uh, you know, it's, it's like things progressively get worse. My favorite example, uh, my mom comes up to me and says, Nathan, clean your room. I go, all right, I'll do it again. So I go to my room, I'm a little kid. I get it all cleaned up. And she goes, finally, this is what it's supposed to look like. Keep it this way. Two days later, she comes and goes, Nathan, what happened? Why is the room a mess? And I look, I go, I don't know, entropy. Right? That I, Hey, It's not that I meant to. It's just things progressively get worse. I've noticed that with my kitchen, right? So I, I clean it, and then after a couple of days, it's like, why is it that it just, I got to clean it again? Right? It's just it's just this entropy thing. That's this idea of evening. Now it became known as evening because you begin to recognize that as things begin to get darker, things become to become obscured. It gets harder to see. Uh, things you start stubbing your toe. You're moving into what feels like chaotic, right? It's entropy kind of stuff. Now the word for morning is the Hebrew word boker, and it has the it's like the reversal of all that. It's the removal of entropy. It's the removal. Uh, you're getting clarity. You're getting sight. So as, as the sun begins to rise, you're like, ooh, I can see now. And, oh, I don't stand my toe anymore. And so that, that's, this, that's where those words come from. Isn't it interesting? On the very first day of creation, God speaks into the midst of the chaos that, that you see in verse 1 and 2. God speaks in the midst of the chaos and brings it from this place of Erev, which it starts in, and brings it to a place of Boker. So he starts in a place of entropy, a place of chaos, a place of just obscurity and, and just craziness, and God does something, and he brings it to a place of clarity and less entropy. And, I don't know if you see that. Second day, he speaks into that level of, of Erev, which is still chaotic, but he brings a greater level of boker. He brings a greater level of clarity and insight and, and order. And then on the third day, he speaks into that, and he brings a a greater level of boker. And he speaks into that era of it, speaks in a greater level of boker. It's interesting, as you walk through the six days, it's evening, morning, evening, morning. But when you get to the seventh day, the seventh day is the only day that is not listed as having an evening and a morning. In chapter 2, verse 2, on the seventh day, God completed his work. And it says he rested on the Sabbath. But there is no mention of evening and morning. Now you could say, well, was there not an evening and a morning? Yes, yes, there was. Obviously, in a literal sense there was. But it's interesting as you stand back and look at the flow of what's happening in Genesis chapter 1 and in the beginning of chapter 2, it's like there's this undercurrent of God saying, Do you know what I do you know what I specialize in? I, I'm the one who speaks into chaos. I'm the one who speaks into darkness. I'm the one who speaks into this entropy stuff. And in this midst of this Arab, I bring it a greater level of order. I I bring about boker. But, well, hey, that's not fully complete yet, so I'm going to speak into that and bring about a greater level of order and salvation. I'm going to speak into that and bring about a greater level and then a greater level and then a greater level until you get to the end of the sixth day when creation is complete and you realize there is no more Erev. There is no more chaos. There is no more entropy. There is no more darkness. There is no more decay. There is no more, why? Because creation has been perfected. So on the seventh day, there is no mention of it. Why? Because Boker has already been brought about. I don't know if that makes sense. Now, I think that is a beautiful picture of the gospel. Why? Because that's what God's doing in our life. See, what is our life? See, our life is full of chaos. See, our life is full of darkness. See, our life is full of just entropy. Our our life is full of sin. Well, what has God done in that? Isn't it interesting that on the very first day, the very first act of creation, is let there be light. Light. And God speaks light in the midst of darkness. Jesus says, you know what the world is full of? Darkness. Why? Because we are full of darkness. The sin nature that has crept into our life is just, it's polluted us to such a way that we just, we are full of darkness. In fact, we love our darkness. It's an unconditional love for our darkness. Because it doesn't matter how much sin causes destruction in my life, I'm still going to embrace it. That I just unconditionally love my sin. But what is God doing? He sent Light. Jesus, into our life. Why? To get us out of this darkness stuff, out of this sin. So what, what does Jesus do in our life? He comes in and light invades the darkness. So hey, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, see, he invades our life and turns the darkness, he starts shining light into our life. See, I don't think it's by accident that the creation be, account begins with, let there be light. Because what does God do? He speaks light in the midst of darkness. But hey, you know this is true in your life. Just because God's now in your life doesn't mean you've been perfected. You still have issues. I still have a lot of issues. So what is he doing? He's he's sanctifying your life. Right? He's speaking into this level of error that you have. So hey, light has come into your life. And so, hey, he's dealt with this in nature. That's true, but I have all these propensities and I have these thought processes, and I I still have these, I have these. Cupboards of darkness that he needs to deal with. So what is he doing? He's going into my closets and bringing forth life in the midst of those cupboards and closets. And So he's, he's bringing me from a place of Erev to Boker. And then from Erev to Boker. And then from Erev to Boker. And you recognize that my whole life then becomes a picture of this creation account where I have light that comes into my life, which means I now have life. But he's now doing this work of sanctification in my life where he's making me more and more like himself. He's he's changing my heart, he's changing my mind, he's changing my attitudes and my motives, and he, he's invading every aspect of my life, and he's bringing about a greater and greater order and salvation. Now there is gonna become a day, probably when I'm dead, and I enter into the eternities, the eternal stuff, that there's no more gonna need, there's no, there's no more need to speak boker into Arab. Why? Because God has worked in my life that there, there, there is this sanctification process that's happening, but you recognize that when we die, there, there is, there's not gonna be all this junk left that he's gonna have fully restored us. not that an exciting thought? Then the eternities, we don't, we're not gonna have the sin nature stuff. I think that's awesome. Tell your faces. This is good stuff. So what I see then in, in the book of Genesis is, it's an incredible picture of light coming into the darkness, light invading the darkness, and, and beginning to change nature. Oh, that's what he's doing in us. Which is why Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, says, do you, do you not know that you are a brand new creation? You are a new creature. What is he speaking of? Genesis 1. He's going back in the old Jewish mindset of creation. He says, do you know what God's done in your life? He's brought about a brand new creation. Hey, you are a brand new creature in Christ Jesus. That What has he done? He's, he's spoken into your darkness, into your chaos, into your corruption, and he's brought light there. And now you're a brand new creature. Praise the Lord. And yeah, you may look the same and smell the same and talk the same, but you are not the same. Why? Because the nature of who you are has been altered and transformed. Now, that doesn't mean you've been perfected. Why? Because he's going to keep sanctifying you. And that's probably going to be a lifelong process. But you realize that the more and more he invades your life and, and, and gets into your Arab and brings about boker and order and life, you realize that you're being made more and more ever like Jesus Christ. Jesus says, you know what I am? I am that light. See, I am the light that has invaded the darkness. I am the light that has come into a dark world. Now, I, I do not think it's by accident. That Jesus, here he is on the, at the end of the Feast of, of Tabernacles, stands up and says, I am the light. It's not that he has light. See, he's equating himself with the light itself, which goes back to the whole predicate nominative thing. Right? So it's almost like you can put an equal sign. That Jesus says, I am light. It's not that he has the light. He says, I am the light. And again, what's interesting is in the Greek, when we go back to our passage in John 8, it's interesting that it's in the present tense which means it's not that he was light at one point and he ceased to be light. He is light. And in the Greek, the present tense has this idea of it's, it's the ever-present tense. So whenever it is present tense, guess what? He is light, which means it's, he's always light because we are always in the present tense. So you realize it's not that, well, at one point in time, whoo, he was powerful, he had a lot of light ability. No, he is still light itself. So as you look at our dark world today, we can be discouraged and be like, I don't know. I don't know if we're going to make it. I don't know. I I mean, I have no idea what culture is going to do. And and I don't know if Jesus is big enough to deal with the the stuff that we're dealing with now in our culture. I don't know. What are you talking about? Do you not recognize that he is light? And darkness has no power over light. I mean, you walk into a dark room, you turn on the light switch, there is no battle that suddenly takes place. And the darkness says, I'm going to stay. And light says, no, you're not. And darkness says, yes, I am. And there's this battle. You no, know, darkness has to just leave. In fact, darkness actually is nothing outside the absence of light. Isn't it interesting that as, the, as a culture gets darker and darker and darker, what we actually need is light, which is Jesus. And that light is then is to invade your life. Why? Because here we were, full of chaos, full of darkness, but light has been spoken into our life, which means that which should be emanating out of our life should be light. Isn't it interesting that all you need in a dark room is one candle? And though it doesn't shine the whole room, you realize that is sufficient. You just need one. But you put a hundred candles together, it gets bright. You put a thousand candles together, it's really bright. Do you know what church is supposed to be? It is supposed to be a light center. It's a lighthouse in one sense. You bring all these individual lights together and there's this place of worship and adoration. It's a celebration of the light, which is Jesus, and the light that is shining out of our life. Now, we do not produce a light. We are not the light. In fact, Jesus says in the book of Revelation, the church is merely the lampstand holding up the light itself, which is himself. So you realize that I don't produce a light. I am not the light. He is a light. My life is only full of darkness, but he's invaded my darkness and he spoke light in the midst of my life. And he's invaded me and he's, he's, he's changing all the dark crevices of my life to bring forth greater light so that he can be seen. So I, therefore, should be able to boldly walk into my dark world and be like, whoa, there's light. Now, it's going to be offensive. We get that. Because the moment you shine a flashlight in someone's face, hey, they, they turn, they get angry at you, they punch you. Not not that that was from experience, but just conceptually, right? But do you realize light has come into this world? And yeah, men love darkness because their deeds are evil, but light is invading. And Jesus says, do you know who I am? I am that light. Can I just encourage you afresh to recognize that your life is to be the light a demonstration of a light in this world? That you're not the light. We get that. He's the light. But if light has invaded you, it should be shining out of every pore of your body. This shouldn't be like, all right, I'm going to act like Jesus. I'm going to grip my teeth. I'm going to, you know, try to pull something off. You, you don't, you, you cannot produce light that way. You cannot hold up a yellow piece of paper in the middle of darkness and be like, look, it's light. That it actually has to be light. So you've got to have this. You've got to have this creation, creature change, as Paul says in First Corinthians 5. And if you haven't had that, you, you've got to have that. But if you have that, would you just, would you let him shine light more brilliantly through your life? Or would you let him invade even more areas of your life? The areas that are full of chaos, the, full, the areas that are full of entropy, those areas that still have just this shadowness about them, whether it be actions or words or thoughts or motives or whatever it may be. But would you let God begin to bring about a greater measure of light in your life? I don't know about you. I, I need that. This world desperately needs that. Well, let's pray. Lord, thank you that we get to be light bearers. And Lord, I'm dumbfounded by the fact that you are the light itself. And I don't think it's by accident that the creation account begins with light being spoken into the darkness and light being separated from darkness. Because, Lord, that is what you've done in my life. You've taken your life, your light, and invaded my darkness, my sin, my chaos, my entropy, and you brought light and life. <clears throat> but, Lord, I recognize the creation's not done, that there's still more to be done in my life, just like there was more to be done in creation. And so, Lord, I give you permission, whatever whatever you want to do, whatever's necessary, whatever you want to alter and change. Hey, Lord, will you just have at it? Will you just bring about a greater redemption, a greater salvation, a greater pressing of your likeness in my life, a, a greater revelation of the light? Lord, would you invade every crevice and every closet and every space and every thought and every word and every deed and every motive and every emotion of my life? And, Lord, will you shine your light in the midst of it? Lord, I don't want my life to be lived for you. I want your light to be so invading my life that I just can't help but shine. In other words, I'm just a reflector. I'm just a I'm just vessel through which you are to pour forth your light. Hey, Lord, could you do something within the church today where you take this little light of mine and so let it shine? That somehow as a church, as a body of Christ, we we, we wouldn't be trying to hide our light in fear of culture or the darkness. If anything, the culture should be the one in fear. The culture should be the one that's a little nervous by the fact that the church is is shining forth. So Lord, let us not dampen our, our, our light. Lord, let us not hide the light. In fact, let us just be consumed all the more with the light, which is you, Lord, would you somehow use us individually and as us corporately as the church to blaze a light in this culture that somehow, perhaps in a greater way than ever before in history, that the light would shine in this darkness and we know that darkness cannot overcome it. And Lord, somehow revival would once again sweep this nation, sweep this world, because this world is dark. I desperately need you. Lord, we just want to praise you and thank you that you are the light. That it's not that you just have some light or that sometime in the past you were light. That you are at this present moment the light itself. And darkness cannot overcome you. So Lord, we just want to embrace you afresh. We want you to scrutinize us and convict us afresh. And Lord, we just thank you that we, as your children, get to be children of the light. beloved Jesus, we just give you the praise and the glory. In your precious, powerful name we pray. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is delivered live and streamed daily weekdays at 8.15 a.m., and weekends at 9.15 a.m. Join us at live.ellersley.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellersley campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellersley.com. Thanks for listening.